I was reading Brian Merchant's book, The One Device, the other day, which reports on the manufacture of the iPhone in China. Longhua is the name of the massive plant in Shenzhen, where Foxconn manufactures iPhones and other Apple products. Foxconn employs 1.3 million people in China, and Longhua was for a long time the main factory assembling the iPhone. It came to international attention in 2010 when its assembly line workers began killing themselves, throwing themselves from the top of the on-site dormitory buildings in protest against the terrible working conditions inside the factories. 18 people attempted suicide in that year, and 14 people succeeded. In 2012, 150 workers threatened to jump. In 2016, another group did the same. The dormitories now have large nets attached to the outside to catch falling bodies. These are people desperate for better working conditions. One worker responsible for wiping a special polish over the iPhone screen said she wiped three screens a minute for 12 hours a day. They also report false promises of benefits, bonuses and overtime pay from bosses, humiliating rebukes for small mistakes made in front of all the other workers. Professor Kui, writing for The Conversation, explains that the living wage for an iPhone worker in Shenzhen has been calculated by one organisation as the equivalent of 800 Australian dollars per month. To earn this much, workers would have to do between 80 and 90 hours of overtime, while the legal cap on overtime in China is 36 hours. Obviously, Foxconn itself and Apple in virtue of its relationship with Foxconn need to change. But the question we're asking today is, in what way, if any, do these kinds of harms to workers implicate individual iPhone users in injustice? You're listening to Dialogues. Today on Dialogues, we're talking to Christian Barry from the Australian National University about ethical consumption. Thanks for having me. And just for the record, I own an iPhone. I'm Holly, and I do not own an iPhone. And I'm Dan, and I do own an iPhone. I'm Richard, and I also own an iPhone. Christian, do you want to tell us a bit more about your thoughts on ethical consumption? Sure. Right. So Holly began the show by asking in what way individual consumers are implicated in the kind of practices that she mentioned earlier. And one of the difficult things in thinking about this topic is that normally when we think about those kinds of practices that we're implicated in, they're often things that we sort of intend, that we authorize in some way, that we were involved in setting up that we endorse, and clearly none of those conditions hold in this instance. It's certainly not true that individual iPhone users are particularly pleased to hear this news. Um, almost all of them would not have known that any of these practices were going on or could possibly be excused for not knowing. Um, almost none of them would prefer that these practices be involved in producing things that they, uh, they consume. So the ordinary sense of implication in some harms seem to be absent from this case. But it also seems odd to simply say that because you haven't directly sort of authorized or called for these practices or that you don't endorse them, that somehow the fact that you've consumed products that have been produced pursuant to these practices is somehow irrelevant to what you have an obligation to do. Um, the question is trying to figure out just what would be the basis of that responsibility and what it could mean. For starters, you might think of two general principles that you think might be relevant in trying to establish that an individual consumer bears some kind of responsibility or is impl implicated in some way in practices. One would be the principle that um, we shouldn't, insofar as we can help it, rely on unjust practices 
for the things that we consume. So that focuses again on the idea that we're relying on a practice, right? That we're sort of counting on a practice to give us certain things that we want or need. And the first principle would be that in general, you should rely on practices which are unjust. And I take it that all of the kind of details of the case you've discussed before are supposed to leave us with the overwhelming sense that actually there's something wrong here, that these are clearly unjust practices that stand in need of change. And then a second more general principle focuses not on reliance, but on the way in which consumers are helping to sustain a practice that involves what we take to be wrongdoing. So the idea then would be that even though individual consumers are not implicated in the sense they intend or are uh, the ones who sort of initiate unjust practices, there nevertheless may be some responsibility that they bear. They may be impl implicated in some way in virtue of the fact that they're relying on these practices and that through their behavior, they're helping to sustain these practices. Great stuff, Christian. Uh, well, the fact is we're all consumers, not just us in this room. So I went down to St Kilda Market and asked some other consumers what they thought about such things. Oh, hey, guys. We're, we're making a podcast about consumption. Do you mind if we ask you a couple of questions? Uh, we don't speak very well English. That's okay. We can still give it a go. How do you think the government can make it easier for us to know about... To know about products we buy? Yeah. Uh, hmm. Description, good description, and check uh, who produce to check the quality. Check the company? Yes, check the company and quality and uh, good description with uh, ingredients, especially food. It's like in Europe. We come from Europe. In Europe, we have every product. You have biscuits, uh, chocolates, anything. We have all ingredients there uh, from biggest to smallest and uh, everyone check what's inside and uh, each ingredient from where come from from europe from china from states this is important to know we check always what we buy so yeah why do we why, why is it so important to know because for example many products like food that comes from china it's not organic maybe from dirty ecologically dirty uh, places, so it's not healthy. It's, it's it can be dangerous. And maybe because if this company is from like a place where they treat people badly, also they can like stop the company to this is make good point. better. Yes, exactly. Better ways. Do you think we just buy too much stuff? I'm probably on the baby boom boomer uh, cusp there, and we did um, without a lot when we were younger, and we're just. We're presented with so much more now, so we uh, we tend to buy because of um, trends, because of pressure, because of updates, whatever it may be. So, yeah, you can do with less. And in today's culture, we're not taught to fix things when they break. We're taught to buy what's next available or what's better, um, whereas maybe 50 years ago, when something was broken, you fixed it, and that's not the case today, because things aren't made to be fixed, materials aren't made to last a very long time. So yeah, it's constantly turning over resources and yeah, products. Yeah. There's an old saying, quality will be remembered long after price is forgotten. And you know, it's a motto I've lived by, I always buy quality because I know that I'm going to have it for a long time. Buy it once. Once you've bought something twice, you've paid double. So one of the things that was interesting that came up in the discussion was this issue of information and information about a product. 
and what kind of information is relevant and what information should be provided to the consumer who's interested in a good. Um, now, typically, we kind of trust that certain things are true of the goods. We trust that the state has ensured that certain kinds of goods are not going to be detrimental to our health. Um, there may be a certain degree of distrust, but we simply sort of take on faith, generally, um, that certain things have been looked after when it comes to the goods we've been produced. But, but another thing that they, people were focusing on is not everything will have been disclosed, and so we want more information. So some of that information seems to be relevant about whether or not a good may be bad for us in a way that we wouldn't have anticipated. If it was made in a place where there were environmental problems, that we might be at some risk of suffering some harm that we otherwise wouldn't know. So the idea that a place and where something was produced or where something was grown is relevant because it's relevant to the actual benefits that we think we're going to get as consumers. But another point that was made was the idea that quite aside from the benefits and burdens that we may get as a result of consuming a certain product, there may be other characteristics. We might call them sort of the ethical characteristics of how a good was produced that might also be relevant. So if we think that a good might have been produced in a way that involved wrongdoing, that that too is a characteristic that is relevant aside from its look and feel and all the private benefits that it may confer on us that should be important in deciding whether to purchase it. Um, but typically, with respect to most things, and certainly mobile phones is an example, we don't get that sort of information. It's true that you'll look on the back of a mobile phone, you'll see where it was designed and where it was made, but that doesn't give you all that sort of information. First, it would be very hasty and inappropriate to assume that simply because a product was made in a particular country that a particular process was used to ma manufacture it or that or sort of make quick assumptions about that. Um, there's nothing inconsistent with something being made in a country, with it being made well and in ways that observe and respect labor laws and the rights of workers. But it's obviously a lot more difficult when you don't have that sort of information, even if you think you should be a consumer who chooses things on the basis of ethical characteristics in addition to other characteristics to do so. So do you think that we, we trust mobile phone companies too much, that we trust that they'll have um, produced their phones in ethical ways? and that we should trust them less, and that we, then we should figure out who, whose phone we're going to buy on the basis of information gathering. Right, so this idea of what we should trust or how we should trust, I think that there's a lot of good reasons why people um, can be excused for being as trusting as they are in many ways. So first of all, when we think about what might be going on in the production of something like a mobile phone that might be harmful or wrong, one thing to notice that a lot of that activity is taking place far away from the consumer. Um, and by the time it gets to the consumer, the good is very slick, it's very clean, it's sold to you by somebody generally um, relatively well paid in a nice shiny store. Um, and so there's a tendency of these goods along the production chain to sort of wash themselves clean. So, um, and, and as a result, as consumers, it's very difficult to sort of see the shadow of something that has been produced in how it's been produced. Now, I think at this point, it's there are enough journalistic accounts and reports that it would be reasonable to expect that people might have some worries about how certain kinds of things are made because yeah. there, there are enough things that... Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we can all wise up. I think you're right about that. But I want to pick up on what the last speaker said in, in, in the recordings there. Um, he said, like, we're under pressure to consume. He said we can do without, but on the other hand, we're under pressure often. Now, I held out and didn't buy a smartphone for quite a long time, but after a while, it just became too much of a pain to not have one. 
because people expected me to respond to emails and you know if I couldn't do it on the on the commute into work it was a real a real disadvantage for me and I might know everything there is to know about the supply chain right but look it it still seems that some kinds of consumption are costly to opt out of in ways that others aren't compare smartphone use which is all we've been talking about really with uh, you know buying fashion items shoes clothes that kind of thing I can sort of intuitively I can do without that kind of stuff a bit more easily yeah so I think this is very important so when I I indicated that um, we might think of consumers as having these two obligations, one not to rely on practices that involve injustice and the other not to sustain such practices. Um, but like all obligations, they're not absolute. So I have an obligation to you if I've promised to give you something at lunch tomorrow to give it to you. But obviously there will be certain things that can arise that will make it okay for me not to provide you with the thing I've promised to you. And similarly, there can be lots of reasons to act in such a way that go against these obligations that I mentioned. One such thing happened to do, had, which you mentioned, has to do with the cost. So it may be that it's simply necessary for somebody to function adequately within a society, not just to have clothing that's sufficiently warm um, and that you can appear in public without shame, but maybe it's also socially necessary, or at least if you are, you're in certain jobs, to have a mobile phone. Maybe you simply can't live in a society without it. And relevant alternatives is important in that it may not be possible for you to make choices that don't involve a product that was created through practices which you regard as unjust. So in that case, you may think that there's a sense in which you have a good reason to act against these obligations. The question is if anything further follows from that. You might think nothing further follows from that. Because it's costly to you, you can simply kind of ignore this obligation, act against it, and that sort of that. Or you might think that although you may be justified in purchasing the phone or purchasing the good, nevertheless there's kind of a moral residuum that it's incumbent upon you to try to make good or to offset or to do something to kind of um, undo the fact that you've acted against these obligations. Right, if I can just put a word yeah. in for many pairs of shoes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you might think that what it is to be in a certain job or a sort of, certain sort of friendship group or a certain sort of social Definitely. tier requires having many pairs of shoes or many Not different outfits many. or having fun. <laughs> There's lots of important things that come from having you know, more than one pair of shoes or more than one outfit. Um, sure, and sometimes it's pretty serious, actually. So, I mean, I've heard stories, there are stories of, you know, women being sent home from the office because their heels aren't high enough right. and that kind of thing. Right. And, and I want to take that seriously, but, you know, it can't always be on the consumer, right? Perhaps what we need to do in those cases is regulate the institutions that give rise to some of these expectations to which consumers are trying to respond, right? Yeah, and I think although it's, the, it's very difficult to draw very precisely the line between things that are simply sort of socially necessary for you to have in a society versus things that are sort of just luxury goods. Yeah, right. I do think that in general we're a little bit less sympathetic, even if we think that people care very much about having a particular shoe brand because they can't appear at a particular type of club that they like to go to without shame. We generally, even if we think that that person will be more upset with foregoing the loss of that than foregoing the loss of a, of a mobile phone, we may nevertheless be slightly less sympathetic to their appealing to that cost to justify their purchasing these shoes than we would in the mobile phone case. So I'm not that confident that we can, in fact, um, 
do very much without un- relying on unjust practices. So, you know, Holly's talking about um, wearing certain shoes. I mean, like, for, for clothes, it seems like if I want to pursue my career, I want to be in meetings with my administrators, I'm going to need to start dressing a certain way. Yeah. It's going to be very difficult for me to buy clothes that don't rely on unjust practices. My career involves me going all over the world. I'm relying on a very unjust practice yeah, um, right. of, of flying everywhere. Most of the food that I eat is going to be produced by an unjust practice. Um, then my phones, like my computer, like how, how am I going to, you know, it seems like everything yeah. I do. Is, and then I, I could... Perhaps I can minimise um, the injustice that I'm involved in. I can kind of buy slightly better clothes, but I can't do that for everything. I just won't have the time, right? So, so is it possible for us to, like, live and do anything with that whilst uh, not rely on an unjust practice? Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, so I think um, probably not, right? It's probably very difficult for us to do anything without relying on unjust practices. So I think that's a starting point. Mm. And so... Um, and it's probably very little, very difficult for us to do anything without, in some sense, sustaining some unjust practices. So I sort of take that as given, as sort of a, a, a tragic aspect of life. Um, <laughs> so the question then is, um, what, given that, is it incumbent upon you to do? Mm-hmm. So in some cases, um, as you mentioned, we can nevertheless make different, we can make choices about how much we're going to rely, or when we have choices, we can sort of support other ways of doing things that would seem to rely less on injustice than others. So, for example, um, one thing you can do, even if it's true that um, you feel that it's sort of necessary for you as a as a professional academic to, to go to conferences now and again, you might think that it's kind of important to um, suggest that there might be other ways of doing things. Maybe there are substitutes for international travel to conduct the kind of business that you need to conduct, and we should be exploring those sorts of alternatives. Maybe it's important to sort of keep reminding people that, in fact, we can move from one way of doing business, which is relying on a certain practice, to another way of doing business, which doesn't rely on that practice quite so much. And we could do that on a small scale, too. We can also do it in that even if we think that um, there may be, say, certain kind of unjust practices involved with nearly every kind of food production, we can nevertheless send signals um, in the market to support those practices which we think are less problematic than other practices, similarly with respect to the production of electronic goods. Mm. Sorry. Do you think it's kind of up to a person what she chooses to care about? So I have this one friend, she she has a real thing about caged eggs, and that's the only thing she seems to have a thing about morally. And I find that sort of interesting. It's almost like she's just chosen one ethical issue and that she really cares about that and that, you know there are so many on the table that you might think are more important than that I mean Richard's mentioned some of them already so do you think people have the discretion given that we're sort of mired in these unjust practices just to sort of pick one and stick with it or do you think there's some obligation to do the homework and see at least what's an important one well I think that if we're truly mired in in just practices then what you actually choose to do um, you should presumably be guided to some extent by questions of efficacy. Good, yeah. And so what you happen to care about may make a big difference to how efficacious you're going to be in pursuing it. So if there's something that you feel particularly passionate about, you feel somehow intimately connected in, even if you can say that there are many other things that may involve me that are just as bad, there's a pretty good reason for trying to focus your efforts in that way, right? Does that mean you have to do the most efficacious thing? Uh, uh, that's that's a, a tricky and challenging thing. I do think that often the things that we care about are not the most efficacious things. Um, 
But nevertheless, the fact that we care about them may make it the case that we are more efficacious than we would if we cared about other things that were more efficacious. Mm -hmm. There's probably a smartphone app for working out which. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully the Fairphone will make an app, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, one of the things that is quite important to note is that um, ability to make decisions in the market on the basis of what I'm calling sort of ethical characteristics of goods Mm -hmm. is greatly facilitated when there are certifications or schemes of pooling information such that you can reliably know certain things about a product in virtue of some tag or some marker. With some goods, there really is no such thing. Mobile phones is an example, whereas if you look at chocolate and other markets, predominantly in food but not just in food, there are certification schemes that can give you more summative, reliable information. Well, I'm sure we could all do a lot better. Mm Mm-hmm, for sure. Well, we're all consumers, so we all need to keep thinking about this. You've been listening to Dialogues. I'm Richard Rowland from the Australian Catholic University. Um, guilty mini pair of shoe owner Holly Lawford-Smith from the University of Melbourne. Dan Halliday from the University of Melbourne, three pairs of shoes. Christian Barry, Australian National University, weak-wheeled Apple product owner. <laughs> and Dialogues is funded by the University of Melbourne. <laughs>